0: The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by Big Barker, therapeutic dog beds. Get yours at Big Barker, <laughs> Big Barker, uh, bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. L.L. L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Wrights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. And our favorite only skateboard shop, Kinetic Skateboarding, get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On today's show... Was Joel Embiid disrespected by not being first-team All-NBA? We'll probably treat it that way, whether he he was or not. Um, Kevin O'Connor makes a plan, a a play rather, to get banned again, and uh, we will have the return of the jigsaw and the return of one Derek Bodner to the podcast. It's been a while since Derek has been on the pod. Um, Before we get going, we have about. From what we printed up to sell, about 100, and 100 120 uh, lottery party T-shirts left uh, of varying sizes for all of them. There's at least one size of each one left, but uh, I, in some cases, it's just one. So go to rightsrickysanchez.com. They are $19.99 still, and the, uh, the money still goes to our charities still. So go to the website uh, before they are gone. Without any further ado, here is Run the Jewels. We are the murderous pair, that went to jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurting despair. Used to have power to push, now my smoke powder to push. Holy I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Woo. Woo. Step to
1: the spotlight. Woo.
0: Welcome to the Right's Ricky Sanchez podcast I'm Spike Eskin along with a guy that sometimes, sometimes on Saturdays Wears all of his lottery party shirts on top of each other mm. Mike Levin, just likes being cozy, like a kitten
1: Dry blend, more, some like a 15 blend, if you put it all together yeah. What's up? Some, We're some in the of off blends. season This is how it yeah.
0: feels Yeah, the, uh, the diehards love it the uh, the podcasts do take a little more uh, creativity, <laughs> but we've got the draft, we've got free agency, and then and then the creativity really really starts. So, uh, all sorts of um, like you know the rest of the NBA continues on while the the Sixers we just act like there's things going on. Um, just at uh, off the top of your head, if I made you bet, just after seeing all the Lakers stuff over the last couple of weeks, including the Lakers, between now and the end of his career, how many teams do you think LeBron
1: James will play for? Hmm. Uh, So he's currently played for three. Yeah. I would say he does not retire a Laker. Okay, so that makes at least two. I would say one more. One more.
0: And and would you say one more that isn't the Cavs or the Heat? Hmm. Because then theoretically, then it wouldn't add a team because you only said that he had played for he's played for three so far, even yeah. though the Cavs were twice. So
1: I would I would say he finishes his career one one final season in Miami. Hmm.
0: So the question is whether there's another team in between there. Yeah. I uh, would say, my guess, my guess was three. I wanted to say three. It, uh, three total. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're right around the same. I don't think Crazy the Lakers, to think. I don't
1: think the Lakers are in a rush to trade him.
0: No, I don't think so. Uh, but you you wonder, like, however this offseason goes and this year goes, whether he'd want to, like, whether he'd stay there. I yeah. don't know. Whether he'd ask for a trade. Maybe. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Uh, today's Willie Green, Apple podcast, five-star review of the week. We're at 2,359 on the way to 3,000. Please leave us a five-star rating and a review. This one comes from, uh, Ainge Shit. Uh, he just says more math, wants more math. You got it, bud. That's why Derek's going to be on the pod today. Famous for his math. Uh, all NBA teams come out for the second consecutive year. Joel Embiid is the is number two this year. Number one being uh, Nikola Jokic. Your thoughts? How do you feel about it? You like Jokic, obviously. So you, I, my guess is you don't have too much of an issue with it.
1: No, I I think that he's very good. He's good in a shocking way that you just just don't expect it. Every time he plays, you're just surprised by how good he is. Um, and he played what? how many more games did he play he
0: played when I did the math he played 300 or so more minutes I don't know how many games it was Um, maybe he played played 70
1: games 80 games there you go and Embiid played what 63? Two? something like that that's off the top of my head yeah I get it 64 I get it you know do I think Embiid's a better player of course like of course but similar to Ben not making the all star game in his rookie year, I I like sort of teasing it out. Teasing our, our guys' success out to where they're not so like they don't get they don't get it all at once. You get a little, little nibble at a time. And beads like, alright, I keep making second team. I'm fucking second team behind this troll. Like I guess I gotta get better. And that's what's gonna happen. So Hopefully it's, he's okay still playing you know 65 games, which I want him to be. but well, I, a, I think it a, would have been
0: yeah. I, I think it would have been looked upon differently if it was 65 like planned games as opposed to missing the last two months,, yeah. you know, or six weeks or however. however, I, in my head, it's now two months, but I yeah, it's because it started around the All-Star break is when it got weird. Uh, I, this is my, my only point. My only point at all, and maybe it should be this way because I do think offense is more important than defense, though this is the one position that you could agree, you, you would say that that is not the case, like the only position where I think you could argue that defense is more important than offense. Even if you were to say that Nikola Jokic was an average um, uh, defender.
1: Which I think he is. Sure. Uh, especially, in the, he, especially in the regular season, yeah, he
0: he did he did have two pretty favorable matchups defensively uh, in the playoffs too. I would say, um, but I, I, I guess I would say if Embiid's offense was what Jokic's defense was, like we we y, y, Embiid wouldn't even be considered. Um, like even Gobert. Is a superior was a much better offensive player than um, Jokic is a defensive player, and I just think like it's the most important position on the court in terms of being a good defensive player, and it just seems like everybody like just sort of ignores it with Jokic, and I it drives me crazy. I I I actually don't agree about
1: the about the Gobert thing. I think Mm. I think in the same way that, you know, I think a simplified center like Gobert is offensively screen and roll, screen and roll catch lobs. Like it is the exact opposite defensively where you have to really be just thinking constantly and maneuvering on the court and positioning your body and protecting the rim. All all this stuff. I think, I think Gobert's offensive abilities are so, you know, regimented. Like he just doesn't do much. Um, Whereas even, even Jokic as a, Average defender for for a big guy. I think you know he doesn't protect the rim, but I think he does do verticality pretty well. Moves his body. Um, he's huge. I mean, he he uses his humongousness to his advantage, and he can't. He's not going to cover anybody in the open court. And he got you know turned around. Who turned him around that one time when he just like looked the other way? Was that Harden? Um, mm, I don't remember. And but I I, I will say. Maybe, I would give him gobert's offense is just so down the middle it's like there he does the thing, yeah, he does the thing, he stands there, yeah, he makes the easy it's like all very, very simple um, but I guess that's just more of a comment on on being an average being an average offensive center requires much less skill talent uh, i right. q than being an average defensive center is what I would say sure.
0: Uh, and Landry Shamet. Um, well, and of course, like I will take this as disrespect, in that I don't think Nikola Jokic is as close to as good as Joel Embiid, even though he is good. Sure. Um, and if there, if if it works out, this just another. If we need to go and get revenge on another road trip for Joel Embiid being disrespected, I would. I think everybody would be really happy with it being Denver. Denver that feels fun. Yeah, yeah. Close to, Pretty place. close to me. I have no yep. issue with Denver. Yep. um and for the sixth year in a row, a guy who played for the Sixers that year was on an all-rookie team, and Landry Shamet makes second-team all-rookie, um, sixth consecutive year. Unfortunately, Zyra Smith played this year, which uh, takes him off the possibility for next year, which would have been a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad he came back and played, but our, our prospects of that streak-breaking next year look, look pretty likely.
1: Maybe. Uh, I would have given Zaire like an all playoffs team. I think he did play a very good meaningful minute. I think he probably (laughs) would have made that. He did not play a meaningful minute. A meaningful, the 18 seconds. (laughs) Counted for me.
0: (laughs) Was not meaningful. Um, All right. uh, One other important thing before we get to Derek, who will join us shortly. Of course, once Derek comes on, um, a change slot will open up on your... Uh, your smartphone, or, or wherever listening to this device, and you will have to enter 10 quarters, uh, Apple Pay is not accepted, <laughs> um, and uh, credit cards are not accepted. So last week, a shocking moment on the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I think I think you'd have to describe it as shocking. Uh, it, it took me way off guard, I didn't know where you were going, when you eventually banned the Ringers' Danny Chow. Um, it was very dramatic of you as you were explaining it. I was like, is he rebanning KOC? What's going on here? It was just shocking. Um, I don't know, now that you've had some time to think about it, obviously, Danny posted our Christmas card on Twitter again, mm-hmm. as he found out the news. Uh, Kevin O'Connor liked the tweet announcing Danny's banning. <laughs> so um, your thoughts now that we're a few days out.
1: Uh, so Dan, Danny texted me off Off pod And so we had a, Are you, a short Should you be talking about this? I don't know, he, he had a short okay. discussion and he, I think he explained himself a little bit more It's not something I can publicly share um, But I, I understand his position A little bit more That being said Still banned
0: Oh boy, wow We would release the text I think we, we have our uh, Our next live show but I was talking to AU. We got to do, um, when we do the, we will do a fall live, Ricky, but um, we got to do a process hall of fame again. Yeah. So we have to have the vo- voting process. That That's exciting. Maybe there's some new, new entries. I don't know.
1: I think the, um, uh, the, uh, old guy bigot from the Milwaukee trip might have to be, or Minnesota <laughs> trip. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. That was when, he, when he came back, uh, you knew there was just no way it was going to work out when he came total
1: back. Total regret. Instant regret.
0: Yep. Uh, but this—so um, the, the very same week that Danny Chow gets banned, we got a bunch of tweets suggesting the re-banning of Kevin O'Connor because of a couple of things that he said and did during the Bill, Bill Simmons podcast. So I went and I listened, and this really boils down to two things. One— KOC voting for Jokic over Embiid mm-hmm. in, in all NBA, and the second one, and the second one is that Bill started bringing up his um, Ben Simmons trade ideas, and he mentioned Simmons for Tatum, and uh, Kevin O'Connor said that that would be a trade that was good for both teams. So many people suggesting KOC should be rebanned. Um, I have I know my thoughts on it, uh, but I think you were didn't did I ban KOC originally or did you I think I you did. might have Yeah, uh,
1: no I don't think this merits a rebound. I think uh, it's the offseason. You can speculate about some stuff. Um, I wouldn't do a Simmons for Tatum trade. I don't want Jason Tatum anywhere near this team. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade Haywood Highsmith for Jason Tatum um, because Haywood Highsmith is the Sixers' fifth best player still. Um, right. But I can see how you can get there. I can see how you can float it and think it think it might work, uh, especially if you're a secret Boston fan still. Um, and uh, your point guards are trash, and Kyrie Irving is, uh, makes your team worse. So you'd want to get another better point guard. I get that.
0: Yeah, the the trade to me, I think, is actually a pretty interesting one. I, I do I I do agree on the no reband for KOC. The Jokic thing is concerning and felt like a little bit of a flex from him after originally getting banned for choosing Horford over Embiid for the, which was for the
1: All-Star game last year, right?
0: Free for All-Star game. Yeah. yeah. Uh but the, the Simmons for Tatum thing is interesting in a couple of ways. Um, first of all, I think just in like an, a normal sort of fit way when you talk with Embiid, it seems a little more natural, obviously. But the other thing is that because Tatum was drafted a year later, that is an extra year that you don't have to give him an extension. And uh, and we'll talk about this with Derek, but the, uh, the cap implications of re-signing um, Butler and Tobias to those deals, and then giving Simmons an extension is pretty handicapping in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. even other than tax. And it would buy you an extra year to, you know, keep that together. I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea. I I don't think I would do it if I was the Sixers, but I would certainly, I would certainly listen. I I think you know that's fair to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tatum is a a kind of a black hole. And so if you're worried about, like, oh, these guys don't fit all together, having another guy who, like, demands mm-hmm. the ball and wants to get his shots up, whereas Simmons can sort of get his in the flow of the game and hopefully, you know, start to take just stepping into jumpers and transition in the occasional, like, exploiting a uh, a double, a uh, you know, a mismatch in the post, then that becomes, like, oh, he, you know, his role offensively can be he doesn't need the ball as much, whereas Tatum is. You know, he obviously gets cranky when he doesn't get the ball enough.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so we welcome, uh, at some point we'll actually ask KOC about coming on the pod for the uh, the draft, but he will definitely be on the pod for the draft. Before we get to one Derek Bodner, let's talk about our sponsor, Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Woke up this morning, I logged into the Ricky email, and uh, Mike... The new process pup is, uh, is from Dubai. So yeah, let me read you. So this is Otto. Um, he's on our Instagram now, but like the, uh, the bio is pretty crazy that this is a big Barker dog bed that bought it because of us. Um, Otto is a two-year-old French bulldog, originally from the Czech Republic, currently living in Dubai with his parents. Uh, Otto loves waking up early in the morning to watch the Sixers with his Philly-born dad and sitting on his big barker by the window, watching the boats pass by in the marina. And his favorite Sixer is Jimmy Butler. So there you go. Um, Dubai. Dubai. Bizarre. And, you know, a, a dog's joints, a dog's health is important in Dubai. It's important in Delco, where I am. It's important in Horsham, where uh, where Donovan, Mike's dog, is. Hatboro. You're, Hatboro. Right next to Horsham. That's right. Basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your dog's health is, for some people, some might say more important than your own health. That's what I would say. Your dog should be sleeping on a bed that supports his or her joints and uh, can make it comfortable to wake up in the morning and even more comfortable as you get older and those joints start to get creaky. It happens with dogs just like it happens with people. Go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky bigbarker.com slash Ricky, you will get the free Ricky upgrade, you'll get your Big Barker dog bed, and of course two processed pup patches that you can either put on the bed, put wherever you are, uh, put wherever you want to put it, wherever you can iron something on, you can put the the patch. Um, And this this thing with the dog's joints, it's even more important for bigger dogs, dogs over 50 pounds, up to 80% of them develop arthritis as they age. 10-year warranty for the Big Barker dog bed. The foam won't flatten, or they replace it for free. One-year at-home trial. And when you get the bed, send us a picture of the dog on the bed so we can put it on our website. uh, Write Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. Big Barker dog beds. Only smart people get them. Handmade in the USA. Big Barker dog beds. Woof woof. Derek Bodner, are you there, buddy? How you doing? Derek, there he is. Welcome back. Am home. I right on the
2: pod? I go right on, right? Right on. Right on, right on. yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no editing on this <laughs> podcast. I don't know if you heard about any other podcast, but not a lot of editing on this one. How long has it been since it, it's been at least two years, right, since you've been on the pod?
2: Yeah, certainly one of the draft podcasts. Um, and it certainly wasn't last year because I wasn't very um, – I wasn't following the draft as closely as I had been in previous years. Uh, so it's, it's been a while, yeah. yep. Maybe the live pod. Could be a live pod. Oh yeah! Right after the Markel live right pod. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was that was normal and cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling? You it's been a you now have a a little bit of a week and a half two weeks removed from from the season. Are you are you, What is your like mental state and your just feelings on on the team in the past year?
2: Yeah, I mean, so it, it's tough because I feel like I should be in Milwaukee and, and I feel like they had a chance against Milwaukee, but on the other hand, my personal life is way better now than it was three weeks ago. Um, you know, just enough time to have a life again. Like, it's especially in the playoffs, it's so weird because it's game day travel, game day travel, game day travel, especially at second round. Um, and you're just, I, like, I didn't unpack a suitcase for a solid month there. Uh, so it is, it is nice on a personal level to, to be able to uh, have a life again. And the basketball team? What do you think of them? Well, I think, I think this is going to be a, a, a real interesting <laughs> summer. Um, yeah. I mean, these are, are, are two contracts here where each of them have a pretty fair degree of, uh, of concern. Tobias, because you know, he might be overpaid on that contract, and mm-hmm. Jimmy, because he's 29 going on 30, and, uh, and you have to see how well his game meshes and how well everyone's willing to fit their roles. Um, you know, they're going to be—I I wrote about this recently— um, they're going to be real close to the apron and the restrictions that come with that. And that works. You know, people always ask, like, well, what's a team that sort of went this route and it worked? And the obvious answer is Golden State. Um, and they've always struggled to get supporting pieces around those core four because of those contracts. Well, Tobias Harris and Jimmy are nice, but they're no Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. So it's going to be very interesting to see how well they, uh, they navigate this upcoming period.
1: Yeah, we agree. We're thinking about that. I think everybody was sort of living in this world of like they could probably sign them all. and then you put out the uh, the, the large cap piece on uh, on the and it sort of it sort of sunk in how uh, restrictive and ha- uh, ha- how hamstrung they could be by once you know signing these two big contracts in the offseason and then eventually uh, maxing out Simmons. Between Jimmy and Tobias, um, if, say, in two years, the Sixers, say they get to the Eastern Conference Finals once or twice, maybe they get to the Finals once, they don't win the Finals in the next two years, and there starts to be some more uh, dysfunction bubbling up. And well, not
2: with Jimmy. That's all media-created sure. narrative. Yeah. That's fair.
1: <laughs> if, if you had to... On you si- Say you sign Jimmy and Tobias to max contracts. It works, but not wor- not works in the way that it gets you finals, and you want to trade one of them. Who in two years do you think will be easier to trade or uh, will command uh, at least some decent value in return?
2: Uh, and the question is between Jimmy and Tobias?
1: Yeah. Well, you could say you could add Simmons in there if you if you'd like. I mean, I'm, I think that's probably the obvious answer, but between the other two,
2: yeah. I mean, I think Simmons would command the most trade value uh, because of his youth and because of his contract being lower and and, and really his youth. Um, you know, I think I think so. I think I think Tobias is going to lose a lot of trade value the moment he signs that next contract, just because I think it's it's it's. I mean, it, it's a lot of times we look at these max contracts and we think they're all underpaid. Um, because a lot of superstars are underpaid on a max contract. But I think Tobias is going to be slightly overpaid on his next contract. And I think the market for him is going to cool a little bit the moment he signs that. Um, and while he might improve, and he you know he's 26, has improved every year, um, he would have to improve pretty substantially to the point where you'd look at a 30% max contract and go, well, there's no concern taking on a long-term contract of that ilk. Butler, it's all about how he's going to age and, and, and what the details around his next departure are. Is it are there reports out there, true or not, that he's causing a, f- a fracture in the locker room? Uh, is, has his game aged well? Is he playing more like playoff Jimmy or like regular season Jimmy Butler? Um, so it's hard, to, it's hard to say. I would say that I wouldn't look at either of those players as being like, we're going to get, they're going to have positive trade value on those next contracts. Like, I think there's very real risk that in two years, neither of them will.
1: So that's like on the road to a John Wall situation.
2: I mean John Wall would be the worst case scenario of that outcome uh, but more of that than um, you know some like like the bias at his previous contract was drastically underpaid and had great trade value I don't see that being the case for this next one
0: Can I, I want to like <clears throat> go back I guess just um, one one quick point Mike talked about your article on the Athletic which breaks down the cap situation um, and it's a lot of a lot of numbers but like the the thing that struck me And then that i think you sort of get to the point of is past the luxury tax just being punitive in terms of financially which none of us we can say that we don't care about i think i think the ownership can say they don't care about it but actually not caring about it is a completely different story um but you talked a lot about like the actual you know uh personnel and roster restrictions that would come along with it if they Go into this with everybody making what they think they could um, is there a, like a simple way for you to restate that and, and sort of explain why that can be a problem
2: yeah uh, it'll cost you three dollars um, and then I will I will let you know so, <laughs> why would I give away our, our paywall information for free no I'm just kidding um yeah <laughs> so well, there's an apron which is uh, it's a little over six million dollars above the luxury tax threshold and if you start the season below the apron and you make a certain number of moves, uh, for example, the most obvious one is signing a full mid-level, um, the standard non-taxpayer mid-level exception. If you sign somebody with that contract, you're then hard-capped at the apron. So you literally can't go over it. It's as close as the NBA gets to a hard cap. Um, if you want to sign a minimum guy, you have to clear your space under the apron in order to do that. So it becomes very restrictive in that way. And that's most applicable to this season. Um, there's no way for the Sixers really to be—so so I guess backing up— it's different if you start the season over the apron then you you lose things you get a smaller mid-level exception which is around a little over five million dollars rather than nine million dollars which is important when you're talking about they need to find good established depth that can complement their core players um the the mid-level is going to be the only real way they have of doing that in free agency so losing that is 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 big you lose your biannual exception which they don't use all that often but it's little over $3 million you could use every other season, why it's called biannual. Um, you lose that. You can't take back a player in a sign and trade. So if, let's say, the Golden State Warriors wanted to sign and trade Kevin Durant to you, which would never happen, but just as an example, you, you, you literally can't do that. Um, and it's just, it becomes much more restrictive. There's, there's another Gilbert Arenas thing we don't have to get into. Um, but there, it's more restrictive in the moves that you can make. And for a team that doesn't really have a whole lot of young, cheap talent, um, and, and the ones they did have, they traded away to get Harris. They're, there's only so many options they have of going out and finding complementary pieces. And being that close to the apron, first of all, this year, it's going to be tough to fill out the back end of that roster. And maybe you don't care about that too much because it's really the top eight guys we care about in the playoffs. And that's fine. I will have no be up against problem the hard filling out
1: you would not there's plenty (laughs) of second round
2: picks i know i know um but in in future years when you're at that apron you're not going to be able to get those cream of the crop free agents that you might be able to convince like hey come over here play on a contender we'll give you the full mid-level you don't have that full mid level anymore because you're over the apron so it's it's not a a perfect place to be in for sure and that's much beyond just whether or not josh harris cares about spending 50 million dollars in luxury tax payments
0: so, okay, first hard question for you. Then let's say that happens. What that creates really is a lot of landmines for a front office. It, like, it, it's really tricky to navigate. Um, it's something that in a lot of ways it seems like Maury has done, um, not that specific problem, but like, you know, uh, sort of circumventing the, the rules and managing around them. How confident are you in the current Sixers front office to manage something like that? in a way like how i guess End the question there how confident would you be in their front office to manage that
2: i mean it's hard to be confident because they've never really done it like everyone in that front office right now is sort of at the highest position they've ever held in the nba uh, whether it's elton brand or ned Cullen or alex ruck or anyone underneath them so they've never really done this specific task so what like why 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 would you have confidence um and they could prove you wrong, but it's just there's no track record to suggest that there. There's reason to be questionable, and to be honest, you can look at Maury, and I mean that's a good point. Like teams say that they'll pay a luxury tax, but Houston every year makes decisions to pay less luxury tax than they they have to. Um, James Ennis, for example, is a, 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 a you know a, an example of that. So you know they're going to have to nail the draft, and I think you know 2018 was at least a start like i think zaire and shamit were good gets at their draft position and they had to do that a lot more and it would be great if they had been doing that for the previous few years um and looking at that possession draft is just um it's it's devastating because you should have another contributor on on a rookie scale contract Mm um but you know going out and signing players like greg monroe like there's a Two game period in that toronto series where it, it looked like all of us who were against greg monroe signing might be proven wrong and and greg monroe eventually turned back into greg monroe and, and but you need to have more creativity than they've shown so far and you know part of it i do give them not a pass certainly not a pass not when mike muscala and greg monroe are your answers at the center spot but a little bit of a pass because they were you know pursuing those max cap space guys and i always thought that was the correct play like i thought they were at a point in their team building where it wasn't about building a championship contender at the time it was about finding the third and four stars to do so so i think they are hurt a little bit by not being willing to offer you know multi-year contracts last summer so we'll see they have a better chance to succeed this summer but they actually have to do it because you have like i said one more chance where you can actually sign somebody with a full mid level exception and then you're going to be over that threshold if you bring both guys back. Um so you have you ha- you have to nail him right now. You have to nail this decision.
1: Isn't like you mentioned Ned Cohen and I had just hadn't thought about his name in a really long time. Uh wasn't his like whole deal and everyone, all the like basketball Twitter reporters were very, like raving about him when the Sixers signed him because he's like Mr. Capwiz type guy?
2: Yeah. And I I think they have a sense of what the realities of the cap situation are. It's a different thing to say, go out and find undervalued guys who will fit your system um, and will be worth their contract, though.
1: Sure. Sure. Do you think... Let's take... Oh, wait. Go ahead. No, I mean, I want to just get... I want to get into it. I want to get into, like, what can we do? Are we stretching Jonathan Simmons, or do we think that Jonathan Simmons will be more value in, like, a try to trade him with maybe a sweetener for someone that can be that you know helpful five to seven million dollar guy this year
2: i mean i would just stretch him just because i don't want to think about jonathan sims anymore sure uh what will they do i'm not sure i'm not sure it's i mean he would be a useful trade chip uh i mean there's no reason not like to stretch him now like you go through the draft which is probably the second busiest trade day of the season and you see what's out there um but i wouldn't i wouldn't stretch him right now i wouldn't cut him and stretch him now no
1: Last one before we go to commercial because yeah. this is the question that people are asking: How much <laughs> is Vasilye Micic a sweetener, <laughs> uh, who is playing, who is drafted in uh, by Samuel Henke and is a 2014 in the 2014 draft and is playing for FS in Turkey, which is where Dario played. 25 uh, year old point guard, off guard kind of guy, yep. and uh, yep. people are. Did he make like second team all all league there?
2: I don't remember exactly what he made. It was amazing, though. I hadn't been asked about Mitchick in two or three years. Like, I've he had been fallen monitoring. off the face. Of the earth in terms of Sixers fans. <laughs> and then Gavoni sends out one tweet about how well he's playing, and now everyone in Sixers Twitter wants to know about when he's coming over. It's it's uh, a yeah. it's amazing how that narrative builds momentum. We are
1: um, we are rights fans here in
2: general. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> When's he coming over, Derek? We got Dario and Shuchu. When is Mitch yeah. coming over?
2: Um, you know, he's certainly not coming over this season. He has a, uh, he doesn't have an out this season. And and the Sixers will be st- stressed to find ways to bring him over because they don't have very many exceptions left to play with um and he will you know he's not coming over for a minimum salary i don't think and in terms of like sweetener in a trade i haven't like I, i honestly haven't watched enough of him to really say confidently but he certainly looks like numbers wise the little bit i have watched it looks like he is finding his place after you know maybe struggling a few years or after after being drafted so that is is good to see will he end up mattering i'm not sure Uh,
0: We'll take a break right now and talk about our sponsor, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. LL Pavorsky, the original, 100% original sponsor of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. LL loves us all so much that every year he sends me a text message asking about doing a uh, a fly the process to Summer League because that's a, like a downtime as far as the pod goes for LL. I will not be going to Summer League. I think LL has gone the last two years. I think he'll be there. That's the kind of jeweler you want. The one that goes to Summer League and wants a group outing to Summer League. Um, he has, LL has sold engagement ring to 128 rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners. And the best thing about finding somebody to uh, sell you an, an engagement ring that you really trust is you don't need to find another jeweler again. You've you got a guy and that guy is LL. You walk into LL, LL Pavorsky Jewelers and um, like there's just, there's no pressure from the moment you walk in. It just feels like a warm experience. It's the guy, the guy's name that is on the door. That's the guy that you're dealing with at LL Pavorsky Jewelers. So if you need an engagement ring, make sure you reach out first, let them know, what you want. Um, and that way, when you go a, in and have an appointment, he can have everything ready for you. 215 627 2252. Go to llpavorsky.com to email him, or you can just tweet him at llpavorsky. And for every single podcast, ll makes generous donations to Coded by Kids and the Providence Animal Center. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Under the apron, a
1: cut above. <laughs> Salary cap right. themed ll tag. How about that,
0: Derek? I I, I want to keep um, plugging on the. Um, uh, I'm sure Mike has a Haywood Highsmith uh, question, but before we get to it, the the front office, how do you think it works? Like, what I guess, what degree of say do you think that Brett Brown has? Um, and I guess like, and I that that would lead, I guess, lead the answer of who is doing what, but like as much as Elton is the general manager, it doesn't always feel to me like he's a regular general manager. Um, At least, you know, when you look at how he, when he came in, how could he be? Um, But uh, how much power do you think Brown has? And then how do you think the power is distributed throughout that front office?
2: I mean, that's a a, a really loaded question. Um, I mean, clearly, Brett would have more say than normal coach. Like he was part of the hiring process that led to, Elton brand. And I think clearly this ownership group is maybe more involved than your typical ownership group. So I think there's power pulled out of Elton's hand there. And I think Elton has probably gained more power as the season went on than he started with. So I think he's probably in a stronger position now than he was, you know, back in September. But exactly how that, I mean, you have to think Brett lost some power if he was, I mean, coaching for his job there in the playoffs. Um, which I think was a little more tenuous than than maybe Josh Harris let on. But if there was that much discussion about whether or not Brown's job was safe, then you would think he has to have lost a little bit of sway within that ownership group. But exactly how that doles out, like how that, it, I think it's always been a murky situation. I don't think it's necessarily any clearer now that there's these seemingly shift in power dynamics. Um, you know, I think Elton is the one doing the work? Like I think Elton is probably the leading voice in terms of basketball decision making, but I think there are a number of people who have to sign off on it and exactly which ones have the power to override him and which ones don't, I'm not entirely sure.
1: And sort of tacking onto that, the just a broad question, the Lakers when they when Magic left, people saw that as an opportunity to sort of clean house and be like, okay, that didn't work, start over. Like Wipe the whole organization clean and like let's be professional again. The the Sixers obviously didn't do that with with uh, when Brian Calangelo left uh, on normal, totally normal circumstances. Uh, what is the health of the organizational like like beating heart? Like, is it is it a functional system? Like, are are like synapses firing at appropriate times? Is it like? there is healthy decision making and people are aware of like I'm empowered to do this and et cetera, et cetera. Would you consider it like a, basically a healthy, well-run organization at this point?
2: (laughs) So I haven't gotten any complaints from anyone in the front office that it's not a healthy, well-run organization. But I think pretty much the entirety of Josh Harris's tenure here with the Sixers, there's been some level of Uncertainty exactly how the power dynamics shake out. Whether that's, you know, the Rod Thorne, Tony DeLeo, I think even Ed Stefanski was part of that original mix. Yep. Um, Doug Collins. Like, there's always been multiple people seemingly vying for power. And there's never been a clear structure. And part of that, you know, Josh embraces what he loves to call collaborative decision-making. Um, <laughs> But I think I think that's. Oh my that's-
1: God!
0: <laughs> it, it just. It, 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 uh, I'm sorry, Derek, but it just shows such like a lack. Of understanding of what leadership and is and what collaboration is, yes. to think that like a person can that not from you for not that I'm not this isn't me being critical of you, he's critical of them to say that the only way for for things to be collaborative is if somebody isn't actually in charge. Right. It's like it's just it's so fucking dumb. I, I just I wonder how somebody can get so good at at business at where he is and like and not understand that. I'm sorry.
2: I I. Right there with you. Um, okay. But I think right, I think w- look like what I'm getting at is I'm not sure this group has ever truly been what we would look at as a traditional front office structure. Um, and is that entirely healthy? I, it's not the way I would run my organization. But like I said, the people that are directly there aren't complaining about it now. So I guess I will give them benefit of the doubt. That card. I have I have my concerns though.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> Feels fine. <laughs>
0: It yeah, it's totally normal. It's just yeah. so interesting
1: because we're, you know, at this point, AU wrote an article about uh, can we have a normal Sixers offseason? Did we did we get enough of a, of a of a regular Sixers weirdness during the season, and can we just have a normal Sixers offseason? And it's just so funny to be on the precipice of like like a wave's gonna hit us, and we're not gonna know what the fuck it is, and just we're it's it's just gonna be blindsided by. Fill in the blank Mad Libs of, of a Sixers off season, and uh, it's exciting to be on the on the A side of that before before it comes. Yeah, yeah. At least
0: at least we can run for at least like we we all have our shelters built. You <laughs> yeah. know, like yeah. we we all have canned food. Important. We're all ready for that. Yeah. What what was the um, being around this? Oh, two part question. Um, first part: How is it? How have you enjoyed covering a good team as opposed to the process era? And then the B part is, what was this particular team like to be around
2: all year? So the A part, you know, there's, I think most, if you asked any other, or most other reporters covering this team, um, they would have a very different answer than me. Sure. Clearly the process was an interesting time to be around a team. And, you know, I was joking with a league executive recently that, like, covering the rebuilding years didn't prepare me for covering this team because back then it was like I was trying to convince people to see the obvious and it didn't convince me with how difficult the decisions from trying to change, like trying to move from a 52 to 58 win team. Those questions are much more difficult to answer than like, should they have a higher draft pick? Mm-hmm. So I spent four years trying to convince people of relatively obvious things like, Hey, it's, you're more likely to get a star at the top of the draft. And I spent years and years and years and years in these sort of discussions that should have been obvious. And now the question of like, well, do you, you know, do you bring back Mike Mike Scott at $7 million a year? That's much more difficult to answer and how you go out and acquire these players. So I'm completely ill-prepared to cover this version of this team because I don't get to really hit on low-hanging fruit anymore. And I miss, I miss that part of covering, covering the process. Um, You know, it it is different. Like it's, it's... The games matter, and I went through years where the games didn't matter at all. Like, there was nothing that would have happened in any of those games. Outside, Like, individual players mattered, but the games didn't at all. So, like, actually focusing on turning points in a game, it's it's different. Um, I would probably prefer this version of the team just because it the, the profile is higher. Um, like, when you're covering a, a, a playoff run, everyone in the league is you know, sort of looking at what's going on with that team. And I think that's good for, good for my career and what we're trying to do. Um, but there were certainly, I mean, covering the, the process and being and snarled in those debates day in and day out, that was, that was an experience I would, I would never give up. Um, so I'm very happy. And quite frankly, I don't have a career if that doesn't happen. Like, thank you for the traditional media for ignoring the team during that time because it left <laughs> a, a real void for, for some people to, uh, to move into. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, quite a I, think we can, um,
0: I
1: think we can agree with that also.
0: Derek Derek built an army of <laughs> monthly-paying uh, <laughs> maniacs that will follow him wherever he goes. Um, so, yeah.
2: What was the second part of the question? What was well, covering the, the team like?
0: Yeah, the, well, this particular team, I guess, the personalities and, um, you know, the overall weirdness and a lot of huge, between Butler and Embiid and um, Simmons, a lot of, like, enormous personalities, too.
2: Yeah. So... Again, this is another difference between them when the team was bad. They're a lot less accessible now than they used to be because Michael Carter-Williams would always talk to you because he was just happy that somebody was talking to Michael Carter-Williams, whereas Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler are a little more, um, you know, they they do this day in and day out, so they're not quite as open in terms of of maybe locker room access and whatnot. That doesn't bother me too much, certainly not as much as other reporters, because we don't rely on maybe quotes or inside stories or, or, or exclusive access like maybe some other outlets do. But it is is—it is certainly different. Um, on the other hand, the people that you have here, act, like fans actually care about, whereas I could write the most in-depth feature about Michael Carter-Williams, and nobody cared because he was Michael Carter-Williams. Um, you know, it, it, it's the expectations were something I don't think I expected when this era of Sixers basketball started. Not that there wouldn't be expectations, but how that changed, how everybody viewed everything about the team. Right. Um, I think trying to, you know, Gauge what fans would freak out about was an interesting dynamic, and I don't think one that I expected from a couple of years ago. Um, there's just a lot more pressure on everything that happens with the team, whether that's you know a a film session um, and the reports around that, or a loss in November that shouldn't matter, but but people make a big deal out of um, trying to balance the well. This regular season doesn't really matter the way we think it is and well i had to cover the regular season was was interesting at times um it's it's it was i would say it's a good team to cover like there's certainly enough personalities on the team between jimmy and and and, and joel and you know jj when he's he's you know sort of in a mood to talk um there's a lot of really interesting personalities Brett is obviously very good with the media so for a combination of a good team and a personality filled team i think this is a pretty good one um but it is, it is certainly different when you start talking about the expectations that the media and the fans and even the players and ownership have and how that sort of influences the narrative both in good and bad ways.
1: Uh, going back to, you mentioned the regular season doesn't matter. Um, the team sort of had this opinion, the, the front office and, and the coaching staff. Uh, it was a little bit muddied that it's like, hey, this is the preseason. The regular season is the preseason us. We're just trying to get to the playoffs healthy. Do, do you believe that that's how they felt? And if and you, and if they do think that, um, do all of their decision-making over the course of the season and then going into next season, does that jibe with what? With that opinion that it's just all about getting to the postseason and then flipping the switch?
2: Yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't... Um- Maybe I, I said this a little wrong. I wouldn't say the regular season doesn't matter because clearly you'd rather have game seven at home than on the road. Well, of that, course, That's yeah. really what we're talking about. Um, I think some of the narratives we get into in the regular season don't matter. But the regular season does. But I also do think the reason, you know, more important than game seven being at home would have been Joel Embiid looking like Joel Embiid. So if they manage that first half of the season better, then I don't think game seven comes into play. I think they win that in six. And I don't think we're having this debate about whether or not the regular season matters or not. So I think the bigger issue is that they didn't play the regular season like it truly didn't matter. Um, and I think I, th- I think with Joel, you know, he has to be on that Kawhi Leonard-esque plan and maybe not miss 22 games, maybe miss 15 games, but they have to be a lot more selective on his rest. So if you're asking me, Next season, am I changing my philosophy that the regular season needs to have more importance? No, I'm probably going the other way, and that Joel Embiid's health and his availability needs to have more importance. And for a team that spent the entire second half of the season talking about "quote unquote" landing the plane, which drives me insane because I always, I always um, associate that with Howard Eskin, and I don't want to associate anything <laughs> Brett Brown says with Howard Eskin. Sure. But he said the entire yeah. the entire second half of the season was we've got to land this plane, and ultimately the plane was. You know, damage coming in the landing spot, and that to me is much more of a a priority than winning a few more games, um, because I think this team is going to be in the fifty-two to fifty-eight win range almost regardless, assuming they come back with the same roster. So get Joel Embiid healthy. Like we can't have Joel Embiid shooting thirty-seven percent in the second half of the the playoffs and expect to advance. Um, So I, I, like I, I do still stand on the side that the most important part is managing Embiid, managing their minutes. Um, I mean. You guys said this constantly. they just played too many minutes in the first half of the season, and if rectifying that causes them to lose a few more games, i 'm okay with that
0: well I, I think a, a natural uh, follow up to that is who who do you think how, how do you think the blame is distributed between Joel himself and Camp Joel and the Sixers in how much they played him the first half of that year uh, because like when you when you hear people talk about it, um, it's very um, you know one side or the other is well you just got to sit him down or well he's just got to say he's not playing how do you how do you think that shakes out
2: i mean do you do you blame the player who wants to play or the 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 management staff whether that's coaching staff front office who's not able to get through to him and who 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 bends to his will you know i think i think joel was very focused on being a quote-unquote normal player and i think that drove a lot of that you know i think he i think he wanted to play in back to so backs i think he wanted to play in every game i think he wanted to be seen as that type of player and you know it's it's there's a lot of weird incentives like when we vote on these and i don't have a vote and i'm very happy i don't because i don't feel like i should be dictating any player salaries but when we vote on these end of season awards like games played matter and even if somebody voluntarily sits for 15 games, they're going to look at that bottom line of total minutes, total games, and factor that into their, their award voting. And then awards factor into Hall of Fame voting. And we have sort of this really weird, like, why should a player do what's best for the team? And, like, he should do what's best for the team, but we then incentivize him to do what's best for him. And it's, it's I think, tough, especially for a player who missed so much time, who was viewed as a player who couldn't play an entire season, if he then comes out and misses 15 to 20 games, that sort of verifies that. And I could see why Joel doesn't want to be seen that way. But it's absolutely what's best for the team, for him to to sit down, to rest, to not lead the league in minutes for the first month, month and a half of the season. And it was a failure on the Sixers to not get through to him in that regard. So I I blame both. Um, and that might be a cop-out, but I think that is I think there's blame on both sides to go around. And I thought, Joel, you know, of all the things that came out of the sort of um, exit interviews, I think people focused on two things. One was, you know, Ben Simmons and him sort of, I don't want to say dismissing the need for a jump shot because I think he believes he needs a jump shot, but like being very clearly, you know, disgruntled with being asked that question constantly. Uh, and the other one was Joel Embiid's response to injury management. And I thought Joel was sincere in that. I think now that he has sort of, you know, seen what maybe um, being overworked can do and having this tendinitis... I think maybe he will come back with a better focus on what actually matters. And that's not being seen as an everyday player, but that's being seen as a dominant playoff performer.
1: I, I think we should end on what, uh, what Derek's... Because what, I think Derek's been kind of cagey in his articles about <laughs> what he thinks that they should do. And I'm not sure if he's holdi- holding yeah. that in until July 1 or now June 30. Um, but I would like to end on that. I have a couple... Individual questions about my kinds of players. Before we get to that, Spike, do you want me to go into that, or do you have other questions this about? This is the Hightower Highsmith section. This is where they're. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wait, hold on one second. We'll just take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, Cornblow and Cornblow. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. I remember the first time we heard from Adam, uh, he sent me an email, told me that he was interested in advertising on the podcast, but more importantly, that he was a huge fan and a huge Sixers fan and he just loved the community and wanted to be a part of it. And after I met Adam, the thing that struck me most was first of all, is that he was everything he said he was, as far as uh, being like one of us, but second of all, how, incredibly like important it is for him to give his clients really a uh, an entire experience not just the result and they get great results at Kornblau and Kornblau but the entire experience to make the person comfortable look a personal injury lawsuit is uh, a, a huge pain in the ass most of the time. It's a really long process. It involves a lot of steps. There are a lot of ups and downs and you need somebody when you get hurt to take care of all of that for you while keeping you informed the entire time. And uh, Cornblow and Cornblow is the place to do it. They've been doing it for like 40 years. They started in the 80s with Adam's parents. Now he runs the law firm with his mom and any sort of personal injury, and i I know when you get suck when you get hurt, it sucks. and the last thing you want to do is go through this whole long thing, but you might be deserving of something in that. So if you get hurt, just call Cornblow or even send him an email. I know people don't like. Talking on the phone anymore. Uh, send them an email. It doesn't cost you anything until they get results for you. Cornblow at cornblow and cornblow com, or give a call 215-576-7200 and ask for Adam Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. All right, now we're back. Hold on. Um, let me see if there's anything I wanted to ask before you launch into that. <laughs> last last thing I had um, because my basic question was was also that um, I like. What do you think they're going to do? And then what would you do? But um, can you talk about the book? I, you've tweeted about it, or you've alluded to it. Is there anything that you can say about it?
2: I mean, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's in progress. Uh, I am taking as much time as I need to get the story that I want. You know, I think I, I, I basically fired my um, publisher. And, and not because they did anything wrong, Whoa. but because they, um, they kept asking for a, a deadline. And I was like, the deadline's when the book is finished. Um, so I, I I sort of canceled my book deal because I don't want to be I don't I, I'm not putting out a book until I'm ready to put out a book and I'm confident in it. So I have another publisher that already wants to buy in. Um, so I just have to sign that paperwork when I'm ready to commit to a timeline. But I'm I'm sort of taking my time. And the reason I'm taking my time is because I want to tell the whole story. And I it's it's really a I will be it will be released or written when it is fully finished um with the summer coming up i will put a lot more work into that um but it's uh it's it's still very much in progress uh exactly when it will come out is still very much to be determined um because i would rather sell 10 books that i'm proud of than you know fifty thousand books on a book that i'm not proud of so it is wait a minute derek still,
0: yeah are you are you saying you were forced out of your publisher because you would not give a date when you're
1: landing the plane um, they, yeah, when you're going to land the plane.
2: They wanted a a, a date. Um, and I said, when it's done. What? So um, you're just going to yeah. write uh, forever? <laughs> yeah. I'm a, a regular George R. R. Martin Barton in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, as I say that, that sounds very um, almost rebuildish. That's which what is, we're going I guess, for. I guess, uh, I guess yeah. a little bit. Uh, fitting. Um, but yeah, it, it, it'll be out when it when it's uh, when it's ready and I have no idea when that will be.
1: And are we a chapter <laughs> right. or like a part? Like, like a part <laughs> one of three?
2: I, I would say there will be a chapter, yes. Okay. Yes. Not not a part. You will not get like... <laughs> it will not be like the winds of, of Ricky Sanchez. That <laughs> <Great>. will not. <laughs> okay.
1: All right, Mike, go ahead. Um, okay, so we're in, the, we're in a place now where, like you said, if we're committing all this money to three, possibly four guys, J.J.'s contract, maybe you bring back Mike Scott and James Ennis if you can, you try to get a a veteran backup center in the Ed Davis, Dwayne Dedman, Robin Lopez, Kevon Looney-type position. Um, You're going to depend on rookie deals. And the Sixers currently have a number of guys on rookie deals, uh, some of whom Brett has been reluctant or... um, at least you know, irritated to have to play a ton. Uh, Landry Schammett broke through and he was a consistent guy, but you saw Brett's unwillingness to play Jonah. Um, Zaire, you kind of give him a pass for and Sheikh being on a two way. How much do you believe that Brett will be comfortable going to those kinds of guys, even in the, even in the regular season when you're, when you can sort of work through those mistakes?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think most coaches in that situation would prefer not to. Um, And I think the type of rookie, the sort of reliability of a rookie, it would have to be a a pretty edge case. And I think think Landry was pretty edge case in that regard. Like he came in, he had a mindset that I think Brown trusted and a skill set that he could sort of slot right in there. And I think that kind of rookie you could see play even as this team continues to believe that they're going to contend for an Eastern Conference title. Um, But someone like Jonah, who's clearly a project who, quite frankly, has no idea what he's doing on most nights, that's the one that I think you'll see buried on the bench that they'll try to find veterans down the stretch to replace, and I don't think that's going to change. And I think there's more, you know, I think they're sort of two extremes, those examples. Like, I think Landry was more ready to contribute than most rookies, and I think Jonah is farther away than most rookies. So hopefully you find more guys in the middle. Like, maybe Zaire is, even though he's you know super young a project sat out for you know the first four months of rookie season for one of the craziest reasons ever which never thought you'd say because we've seen a lot of crazy reasons um hopefully he's in the middle because he has a skill set where he can contribute even if maybe the rest of his game isn't fully caught up right and i think i think i think zaire will be a i think he'll be in the rotation next year i think they're they're excited about what he will bring um, so I think it's going to depend a lot on the player and their role and their skill set and their their mental readiness to to be consistent at an NBA level. Um, but I think it's going to be tough to find a lot of those guys.
1: I, I look at Jonas specifically because it's very clearly he doesn't a lot of times know where to be. Um, but I look at him like he has three years left in his deal at under two million each year. And he has a skill set that theoretically is pretty perfect for Embiid's backup, yep. um, and occasionally playing with Embiid if you want some more energy there. Sitting Simmons or whatever it is uh, here and there. Do you, he's just for the for the value of the contract and for the kind of skill set, it seems like they owe it to themselves to make that work, and and if they if, if you look at him, and, and they've obviously had him in the system overseas for a couple years and then and now uh, in front of them for a year. I, I, it seems to me like either you you commit to we're gonna make this guy a playable player, and we're gonna he's gonna be way undervalued uh, or underpaid for the next three years, or we're gonna say here's a guy who is really cheap has all this upside and we're gonna trade him like right fucking now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably one of the things that I went back and forth on throughout the season the most. Like there was one point where I'm like, you can't play, stop playing Boban. He's not going to get any quicker. We know it's not going to work in the playoffs. At least Bolden has a chance to get him up to speed. And then they played Bolden for like two weeks, and it was like, whoa, there's, he's, not, he's not figuring this out in the next month and a half. Um, move on. So it's, it's on the one hand, yes, I agree. His skill set in terms of shooting, potentially, um, you know, being able to switch on defense, protect the rim, roll to the basket. Like, that's exactly what you want for a backup to Embiid, um, and, and, and somebody who can also play alongside of Embiid so you can get him some more minutes for when Joel is playing big minutes. But there's just, it, it was very tough last season. And I understood why they went away from him because, like I said, after watching him for about two weeks, I got frustrated. And I didn't even have to, um, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't have to coach the team. So I think for the second season, like, he's got to be more involved from the jump. And, like, I don't, I, don't ex- I didn't expect them, him to play more at the beginning of this season because I think most people expected this to be a D-League season for Bolden. Then he came in in December and January, January and showed some stuff, and, and, and that changed opinion. So I think he has to be more involved from the beginning, but it's tough because I also think you can't rely on him from the beginning. You have to have a viable backup center option. So I hope that they have a little longer of a rope for Bolden. Next season, because I do think he is that fit that you can describe, I'm just not sure I see it in terms of, you know, it's always tough to figure out, is Bolden someone who can improve or is he Rashawn Holmes? And improve really in his defensive decision-making recognition. And that's really going to determine his NBA career. And how much can you change that by playing him a lot early? It's going to be interesting. He has to make real strides over the summer. But he is exactly the type you need both in skill set and in contract to work out.
1: Do you think he's just a second contract guy like then he's going to start actually Uh, contributing to a team that signs him after his rookie deal is done once he is just, you know, 27, 28.
2: Yeah, I I would say it's more likely he contributes on his second contract than his first one. I would say that. I'm not convinced he is. He might be a no-contract guy, and I hope not because I think his skill set really fits modern NBA well, but his decision-making left a lot to be desired. And and it's always tough because some of those players will figure it out with more experience and some of them won't, and figuring out which ones will and won't are almost impossible.
1: Yeah. Okay, moving along. Uh, cause I, I, I don't think we need to really talk about Zaire because I think that I agree with you. I think he's going to contribute defensively. I think he's going to just be an offensive rebound guy. Um, he could essentially fill the James Ennis role right now with a lot more, um, athleticism and, uh, and hopefully, uh, more impact. But although I did appreciate James Ennis, but moving on to shake Milton, he was a, uh, they drafted him at 55 or so last year, 54. Um, and it's it's easy to look at the draft and be like, oh, this is where this guy went. But for a while, Shake Milton was was looked at as like a late first round pick, and then he underperformed at Portsmouth and and dropped. Um, so he's not a guy that's just like, oh, they took a random chance on him. He was he was a highly thought of prospect for for a time, and then I thought he looked pretty damn good in the G League and and from for, from the times that he showed in uh, in Philly. What would his contract look like? Going from a a G League contract, I get a a two way to uh, to a regular normal. I mean normal contract. What, what yeah, ha- so, is there even something in place, or do they have to like negotiate a whole new thing?
2: He signed a, a two year two way contract last summer, so he is still under contract for next season as a two way player. Um, so they can keep him there and do that. They can convert his two-way contract to a standard NBA contract, which they can do without his blessing. You know, Basically, he would be converted to an NBA minimum contract for the duration of his, his two-way contract, which is one year. Or they can negotiate with him and sign him to a new NBA contract, which they would have to use an exception for uh, and which could be for multi-year. So I think if I had to predict what's going to happen, I think he's probably going to start next season under a two-way contract. And then if he impresses, then they could probably start trying to negotiate um, a contract from there. So those are sort of the options you have with
1: Shake. Wouldn't it be... What is Shake Milton's contract? I'm ready to go, man. I think he's... I, I presumably think, you know, you talk about, like... Having a guy who can contribute <laughs> on a on on a cheap contract that can you know be a point guard when Ben's out and hit some threes and play with them, and I think that that is you know I've always looked at Shake as that kind of template of a player of a you know he probably isn't he's not as strong and he's not as defensive minded at this point, but like a, a the skill set of a Malcolm Brogdon, and this is definitely the only media appearance I will have all no. summer
2: where I'm asked about Shake. Well, contract.
1: good for sure. Then I'm, yep. we're getting the exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that? I mean, because to me, I think he's going to keep improving and then all of a sudden he's going to price himself out and maybe bet on himself in a KJ McDaniels kind of way. Wouldn't it make more sense to right now just be like, we need guys that can contribute cheap for a long time. Let's try to sign him to a four year, you know, seven million dollar deal like that kind of like rookie scale deal.
2: I mean, it depends on how much of that is guaranteed. Like, I'm not giving Shake too much guaranteed right now. I want to see him play. More against NBA players. I think if you, I think, I think the, I think what I would do is bring him back on a two-way, see him play in the NBA a little more than he did last year, and then sort of negotiate from a little more of a, a position of knowledge. Um, but certainly, you can get him on a better contract now. It's just I would be, I, I would I, look. I think. If you had asked me who I won in the playoffs, Jonathan Simmons or Shake Milton, I would have gone Shake Milton with no questions asked. And that is saying as much about Jonathan Simmons as it is about Shake, But I thought he I thought he competed better physically than I thought he would have um, last year at this time. So I have interest in him like seven million. Let me know how much of that is guaranteed. But I think, there's, there, I, I think there's something to signing him to a long-term deal now. Um, I would probably just be a little more hesitant than you.
1: Rightfully so, probably. All right, Highsmith, what do you think we got? <laughs> Does he play? Can he stick?
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. I haven't, I haven't watched enough uh, Highsmith. <laughs> That's fair. You, get, you know who to ask about that? Get Jason Blevins on.
1: He'll yeah. tell you about it. Hey, I right. just dream about him as our, as our Tory Craig or our Royce O'Neal, we need a new Cuff. Like that would just feel—it feels very right for someone that just exactly knows their role.
2: I forget—I forget who it was um, at the uh, at the Sixers' first draft workout uh, last Monday. But Torian Craig was brought up a number of times, and he is now the um, you know role player who every role player wants to grow yes, into. That is was, the perfect name to bring up. It was you
1: know? Terrence Mann of Florida State. There you Great go. Great transition. Uh, Spike had it as a question, but I'll ask it. Um, do you miss covering the draft come, you know, st- starting in January? And uh, have you done much looking at the draft, and are there guys that you like at whether 24 or 33 or 34?
2: I have done almost no draft watching, and I miss it tremendously. Um, that I always said if I could only do one thing in, in, in covering basketball, it would be to cover the draft, and that's because it's so gosh darn hard. Like, it is impossible. And the more I covered it, the more I realized – How bad I was at it, which is, um, you know, I think I think that is uh, first of all, informs a lot of my coverage. Like you you brought up like I'm dancing around my own personal opinion. And that's in part because I just don't value my own personal opinion as much as I used to. Like, I think my coverage has been shaped by I, I think every analyst should start off covering a draft because you'll be shown how much you really don't know. And I think what I try to do with my coverage now more than I did earlier in my quote unquote career, even though back then it wasn't a career really, um, is I focus less on my own personal opinion, more on sort of like providing information to let other people make their own opinions and maybe have their own opinions be a little more informed. And part of that is because why would I assume that I'm right when I'm so often wrong, specifically about the draft? And it's that difficulty which I think is fascinating about the draft, and if you can get to the point where rather than being wrong 80% of the time, you're wrong 75% of the time, you now have a huge competitive advantage. And finding out ways to do that I think is fun, it's challenging, and I miss, I miss that aspect of it tremendously. Um, but I have shifted a little more to covering the Sixers full-time, uh, so that has taken almost all of my efforts.
1: Okay. Spike, you can ask the, the, <laughs> the adult questions now.
0: <laughs> yeah well I only have one adult question left it is it's your team um, and uh, you are the general manager and the owner like what are you doing with the roster this summer um, obviously like let's take signing Kawhi and KD off the table or even like the possibility because you might have to let one of these guys go to, uh, to do that I guess what do you think is going to happen and then m- what would you do
2: so I think they're going to try to sign both of them, um, and that's not uh, like in, that's not a sourced report. I'm not reporting they will, but I think if I had to guess which way they'll go, I think they will. Um, you know, I With, think for all the money. Yeah, for all. Well, I mean, if they have to, like I think they'll try yeah, to get right. them below. Um, but I think they would be willing to go max on both. And you know, going back to the luxury tax, like, do I believe Josh Harris when he says he'll pay a luxury tax? Yeah, if only because not. Being willing to pay a luxury tax and green lighting both of those trades would be asinine and i i think i mean everyone saw this coming so i think they'll try um i think it'll come down to butler and harris uh you know i think i've i've said this before but i think a lot of times we look at it like well does jimmy butler want to win or does jimmy butler want to be the top option on a team and i don't think these level of players view it in that way like i think jimmy butler will look at let's say the clippers a team that played Golden State well and say well if if I go there we can compete and I can also get the ball a little bit more. So does he value that over what they built here? Does he value that over the relationships they have here? Does he value the Sixers and their core and think that has a better chance of winning an NBA title? And you know, I think I think I think the Sixers do present him the best chance of winning. Um the question is whether or not he will come to that same conclusion. So I think they will try to bring both of them back. The much more interesting question is whether they should. They have, especially if they only sign one of these two, and the only way you don't sign either of these two guys is if you have a commitment from one of those guys you just crossed off the list. Otherwise, losing both of those, you know, you can't, like going out there, I, I love Malcolm Brogdon, but I love him a lot more as your fourth best player, not your third, so if you let if you sign one of, of Butler and Tobias, you're effectively out of cap space and replacing the other is going to be very difficult. And because of that, I it's tough. I'm, I'm very scared about both of these contracts. I don't think either of them will be movable for the kind of assets people think they will be. Um, but I think they've boxed themselves insufficiently where you almost have to
0: uh what now they signed jimmy to a max um and they keep everyone's cap hold how much cap space do they have if if tobias harris walks i've seen like five different versions of this
2: uh i would have to go back and look but i think it would be under i think it'd be under 15 million and that's with renouncing reddick
0: right 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 i'd have
2: i'd have to double check but it wouldn't be enough i don't even think to get like a brogdon type
0: Well, Mike, the only thing I have left is I was going to give you both a jigsaw. So if you have anything more on on Hightower,
1: um, (laughs) (laughs) now's your time. If if Embiid was healthy and they win that Raptors series in six, do you think they beat Milwaukee?
2: I would make Milwaukee the favorite, but I would give them a thirty-five to forty percent chance. I think they had a I think they had a real real chance. I think a lot of the playoffs come down to matchups, and I do think the. Bucks were a better matchup for the Sixers than Toronto was. Um, so, yeah, I'd give them a real shot, but I would make Milwaukee the favorite.
1: Even, even, know, like, even Math in his predictions. <laughs> I mean,
2: that's everything. That's everything. Everything is a chance.
1: That's right. All right, Jake. The,
2: the thing is, I don't think the Sixers have anyone as effective at slowing, um, slowing Giannis down like the, the, the Raptors do. And I think that's part of why this series has played out the way it has. But they've also I, c- covered him differently.
1: They've covered him so different. Yeah, Sixers were just if, like all right, Kobe beat us. If Joel
2: us. was closer to peak Joel, um, and one hundred percent Joel, then I'd probably have a different answer. Yeah.
0: Well, and and a, a lot of the and I I, I still think there's a fifty percent chance the Bucks win the series actually. But like a lot of what it comes down to for the Bucks is that like when your primary offensive option can't shoot and your second best player is Chris Middleton, like it. it there's a chance that a good defensive team is going to make things really, really tough for yeah. you in the playoffs. Yeah, and Toronto's they, probably
2: the the team most equipped to to defend him too. Like the Sixers, they the last couple of times the Sixers played the Bucks, they really showed you need you need Embiid defending Giannis almost the entire game, which is really tough for a seven two guy to do. Um, yeah. You know, every possession down the court, like he's going to get worn out. It's going to make his offense suffer. But when he had Simmons on him or he had Butler on him like he just got wherever he wanted to go and the Raptors having Kawhi is a a real big advantage for them
0: yeah I mean uh, their half court defense in both series has been like yep. it almost looks like they're playing with an extra guy sometimes um the the Raptors half court defense all right uh time to do a jigsaw and the jigsaw this week is brought to you by <laughs> our friends at kinetic skateboarding that's right Go get some vans. Get some Converse if you're a skateboarder. Get some skateboards. Get some gear. Get it for 9.1% off your first order with promo code DaveSilver at KineticSkateboarding.com.
1: play. I will play this game. Game play. I will play this game. I miss you. I will play this game. I- I'm worried. Play. I will play this game.
0: And after the game, they were interviewing him and they said, how does it feel to win the ultimate game? And he said, if it's the ultimate game, why are they playing it again next year? I don't think we've had a guest jigsaw in a long time, famously, uh, Brett Brown. the uh, the hot dog water hot dog water yep and i think one was about eating throw up or boogers (laughs) or something like he was not happy um (laughs) but we were still really in keep it real stage of the podcast so i think we had to do it all right uh derek i'll go to you first here are your two choices they are both for the rest of your life obviously you don't have any options other than to pick one of these two things your first option is for the rest of your life 15 times a day you have to follow up a sentence that you said with, if you know what I mean, as if you're being sneaky or salacious or something. Um, you can't just go to people like on the street and do it. You have to spread who you're saying it to out amongst your day. So you can't just you know do it to your, your significant other at the end of the night 15 times in a row. That's your first option. Your second option is you have to shave six times a day Um, and you have limited shaving cream to do it with. Let's just say it would be enough shaving cream to do two full shaves, um, and it's just regular Barbasol shaving cream, nothing good.
1: Mm. And shaving just your face.
0: Yes, yeah, neck, neck, face, you know, everything that you would when you shave your face, yep.
2: So I already am derelict in shaving. Like, I have a beard not because I think it's a good look on me, because I'm lazy. Um, so I've already sort of made that decision. Now, if I, if, if you know what I mean, would that, could I avoid doing that in tweets? Would that only be in person?
0: (laughs) Uh, that is an amazing, um, uh, wrinkle. I think when I'm saying you have to spread it out, I would say that you don't have to use it in articles, but maybe in the occasional tweet to keep it spread out. Yeah. (laughs) Because
2: for the most part, I don't think when I talk to people, they, uh, Trust me anyway, so I don't think that would be too big of a concession to make. I'll go with if you know what I mean. Okay,
1: Mike. Uh, it's <laughs> such a bad look. <laughs> Just so gross. Um, yeah, having to say, I don't mind having to like make vaguely sexual comments and like them being in poor taste, but having to say, if you know what I mean, 15 times a day and doing that like knowing look each time where you're like waiting for them to <laughs> laugh, but like they're not going to because it's not funny. Um, <laughs> I might. See, yeah, I think you can
2: slip it in under you, like just real quickly, where people, like you have like ticks. Everybody has a tick when they speak. And I think you, people just, you can slip it in there and nobody would even. Right. Really
1: but pick I it. think and that's it. not in the spirit of the jigsaw. Like you yeah. have to say it as if you're proud of it. You have to it. do it. As <laughs> if you're like somebody's uncle being like, I'm going to impress him with this joke. If you know what I mean. If you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's really right. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably go to shaving just because my career depends on me not, like, hating my level of comedy.
2: <laughs> See, I think, I think you could do it without being creepy. But I could also oh, regret that think... after a little bit.
1: Sure.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know, Derek. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Derek, thank you for coming on. Of course, you can read Derek's work on The Athletic. Um, do, do you have a promo code you want to give out for a discount? No Free. I
2: should, but i <laughs> no. don't they're everywhere okay. like nobody pays way yeah. pays full price. go find it
0: yeah 3 99 I saw it is forty percent off, so just google it. Um, good job this season. I thought uh, you're, um, you you make us proud it's good to have somebody um, somebody writing uh, as well as you guys do so
1: Thank thanks you. man. agreed. The Mike Levin coaching tree. <laughs>
2: Yeah <laughs> It's really crazy <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, buddy um, Thank you uh, Are you down with TTP? Yeah You know Like face. We
2: are the
0: murderous pair Dead with the jail And we murdered the murderers there Then with the hell And discovered the devil Delivered some hurting despair Used to have power to push Now I smoke of to push Holy, I'm burning the bush Now I give a fuck about none of this shit Two runner over and out of this bitch Woo-hoo.
1: Woo-hoo. Step into the spotlight. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Copying with upers and downers, get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand thousand, eight months. Cumping the clouds on the missile.